0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Amen. Grab a seat. Well done. So We're all out with the pacing. He, Nelson knocked me there. Um, we're, get, we're getting into the groove, aren't we, of, uh, of saying the Lord's Prayer together. It's great to have you here. I want to extend the welcome that Megan uh, extended before. Uh, it's great to have you here. My name is Andrew, and I am the campus pastor here at City. If you are visiting uh, here for the first time or just started coming, it is great to see you, great to have you with us, and uh, love to connect with you after, and uh, love to uh, um help you in any way get connected into the life of the church. Um, we have been here 18 months, and uh, in fact, uh, and I'll refer to this in a, in a moment, this is, this Sunday one year ago was our last Sunday meeting before lockdown, so there you go. Uh, it's been a wild year. It's been a ride, uh, and we've been in the church for 18 months, and it's been a real joy to uh, to be together and to, to do a journey together. And we are in a series at the moment, actually coming to the end of a series, uh, on the Lord's Prayer, uh, working line by line through the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples to pray. Uh, I was talking to someone in the last service and and uh, they're kind of new to faith, uh, new to the Christian faith. And uh, uh, she, we were just talking about prayer and she's going, I'm just starting to get used to prayer and how to pray and just getting the right words I said. The whole point of this series is that Jesus says you don't need to pray complicated prayers. He didn't give you the common book of prayer. He didn't give us the common book of prayer. He just gave us some simple words to pray. In fact, Jesus railed against the hypocrites and the Pharisees who had their long words and, and uh, special phrases that they used. And so I trust that this series has been uh, really helpful for you. And we're jumping into a pretty difficult line. Uh today, Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and uh, we're going to jump into that in just a moment, just a a few uh, family notices to let you know about before we get going. Firstly, for those of you who know Jono and Beck Riley, uh, Beck has been um, pregnant for nine months and... uh, one or two weeks, I've lost track, but she was very due and she gave birth yesterday to a little boy, which is very exciting for them. So that's worth cheering. If you know Jono and Beck, they've been part of our church since we started 18 months ago. So be praying for them both, be praying for our little boy and be praying for Beck that she'll... Uh, she'll, she'll uh, Catch up on sleep over the next 21 years or so. Um, so, uh, be uh, be praying for them. The other thing, just to let you know about, and I might be a little bit preemptive with this, but I'm gonna let you know anyway. Um, we are we are looking at uh, getting back to one morning service. So we currently run three services here at City, and uh, we're looking at getting back to two: one morning and one uh, evening service, which is really exciting. We've found a way of getting more people in the room, so uh, we will. Uh, communicate Communicate more information about that in the coming weeks, but hoping to see that happen in the next month or so, which would be lovely. Uh, it'd be great to be back as one uh, church family in the morning. Temptation, temptation. This is, this is going to be a hard one for us, but I trust and pray that today you will be equipped, that you will walk away with some handles and tools as we look at this line in the prayer Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. It's an important prayer because temptation is everywhere. Temptation is everywhere, isn't it? I, 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 uh, I fell. I was tempted to use an old razor this morning. And so if you're looking at my face, you know, there's, a, there's something go- I, uh I, I was bleeding for about three hours this morning. About 15 minutes before I got up to preach at the, uh, at the 8.30, I managed to stop it. So I don't have a bandaid on. But I, just a tip for myself and others, don't use old razors. They're dangerous. We are surrounded, we are, we are surrounded by temptation. We are surrounded by temptation. As I said, 12 months ago, it was our last service before going into lockdown. And um, it's been tough, hasn't it? You know, for a whole range of reasons, uh, it's been a tough season. And I, and I talk to people, I feel it. There is still a tiredness. It's been a, a, a hard season. But there have been some advantages, now one of the advantages for me, and I think for many of us, was that we got to work from home. Did anyone get to work from home and enjoy working from home? Oh yeah, a few of you just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was great, I thought it was great working from home, but the problem was is that working from home has its, a whole range of new temptations because inevitably I'd get up from working from the computer and my, my office was only about five steps from the kitchen. And I'd get up and I'd just go for a walk and I'd walk out into the kitchen and I'd walk past the cupboard and the fridge and pretty much every time, even if I didn't need to, which was nearly all the time, I would just go and open the door of the cupboard just to have a look and see what was in there, even though I just opened it an hour ago, just to remind myself of what was in there, and then I'd walk to the fridge, which is next door, and just kind of open the fridge and have a look inside and see what was in there as well, And, um, and often, if I saw something in there that I liked, even if I didn't need it, I'd be tempted to take it and then open it and then eat it and there are some items that tempted me and um, I must say that I was led into temptation sweet and salted popcorn is one of my favorite no no you're wrong Peter these are amazing does anyone else agree that sweet and salted popcorn I could smash this bag right now see it doesn't matter what these items it doesn't matter what time of day it is I could eat, I could just finish this off eight eight thirty in the morning, not a worry this I, I was led into temptation. Megan loves baking it 's an absolute gift, um, but it 's also a challenge. She leads me into temptation. Uh, These are my favourite. These are Rice Krispie Treats. I realise this is not helpful for anybody who's currently doing the uh, prayer and fasting season that we're inviting everybody into. We've got one week to go, people. Um, These Rice Krispie Treats are so good. It's basically rice bubbles with melted marshmallow and then sugar on top and then it goes cold and you like every time I walk past these, I just have to smash two of them because I just have to, and uh, and so I do. I just they they led me into temptation. It's all your fault, Megan. The other the other thing. Daryl Lee dark chocolate with licorice. Anybody? Anybody? Anyone just fall for this? A bar a night, easily. What's that? Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, I didn't pray that before. I I hate these. That's what we're learning today, Steve. We're learning the prayer when we encounter these bars of chocolate. And then finally, again, any time of the day or night, connoisseur, particularly cookies and cream ice cream. This is empty now. Uh, There's good reason why, (laughs) why it's empty. Any day, time of day or night, ice cream, I just... I, I have got to say that over COVID, I have been led into temptation. I've, I, I've needed this prayer. I needed this prayer 12 months ago. And I joke, you know, we joke about this. But, but actually, the reality is, is that we are surrounded by temptation. Temptation is everywhere. It's shouting at us. And it's a whole bunch of things. It could be something that we give into. Something that we look at, something we purchase, something we consume, something that we do or something that we don't do. We are surrounded by temptation and it beckons us. And to be honest, when we give into temptation, as the prayer says, as we give into temptation, actually it points to a a deeper story, a deeper narrative in our life. See... We take, we give into things that tempt us based on what we believe. Based on what we believe about what makes us happy, what makes us worthwhile, what makes us worthy, what makes us complete. See, there are a whole bunch of things that, that are appealing to us And if we believe a lie, and I'm going to speak about these, or a narrative or a story that says, I will only be happy if I have that, then we find ourselves falling into it. It speaks about a story or a narrative that we believe. And we can trace this right back And we look at the story of Adam and Eve. And I know I talk about this narrative in particular a lot, but, but I do because it says so much about who we are and how we are. And we see with Adam and Eve that they are tempted. They step into a new story. They're tempted and they take the fruit because they want to be like God. They believe that if they reject God and become their own God, then they'll be happy. They'll be worthwhile. They believed that story. There's a whole bunch of narratives that we believe and It all comes down to this idea of desire. This desire. See, we've got these surface desires, these impulses, whether it's our hunger or our self, our sense, our sense of self-worth, our desire for something to be filled deep within us, and we grab hold of these things because we believe the lie that they will fill us, just like Adam and Eve. But there are deeper desires. We need to acknowledge that there are deeper desires. None of us want to give into unhealthy habits, give into deadly habits. None of us want to 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 be people who give into unhealthy temptations if we're really honest there are deeper desires within us that actually we want to pursue but somehow in the journey and I I put my hand up this is my story it's our story it's so difficult as we we wage war in our hearts and our lives as as these different temptations come we we long for something more but we give into something more surface it's a waging war of desire And we need to take comfort and confidence in the fact that we're not alone. I want to say from the outset, when we talk about temptation and trial, when we talk about failing and fault, when we talk about sin, we are all on the same level. I am not standing above you here. I am standing with you. And somebody else who stands with us is the Apostle Paul, like the greatest figure in the church, the one who started the church once Christ left. And Paul writes about his wrestle and his struggle because there's this internal tension going on in him. I hope you're encouraged as he writes with exasperation in Romans chapter 7. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. There is something in me that longs to do bad. For I have the desire to do what is good, so I want to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil i do not but the evil i do do not want to do this i keep on doing it's it's a tongue twister to try and say that 20 times real fast now if i do what i do not want to do it is no longer i who do it but it is sin living in me that does it Paul is writing here, there are two desires at work. There is this sinful desire that we've inherited, that's been passed on from our first parents, Adam and Eve, right down and through every person there is this fallenness, this brokenness, our surface desires, the things that we pursue pursue, that we think actually give us meaning and happiness and purpose. But there's a deeper desire, what we were created for, we were created for a relationship with God, that which was abandoned at creation we all have that as well. Whether we're people of faith or not, there are these deeper desires and they wage war. And Paul is talking about this tension, this war, this battle that rages in every one of us. Do we, can we all resonate with that? Can we all just say, yeah, that's, that's me, that's me. We all walk through this. I want to say from the outset that temptation is not a sin. It's not. Temptation is not a sin, but giving into temptation is. And this is how it works. This is kind of how I see it. You've got three parties. You've got the flesh, the world, and the devil. And they kind of all interact in this whole scheme of temptation and sin, if, I see, if I'm to use that word. And the way that I see it is that the devil is the dating agency between the flesh and the world. And you can see this again if we go right back to the first chapters in Genesis, the account of uh, who we are and how we are. We see Adam and Eve are tempted by the snake, which is the devil, the evil one. The evil one comes and says, hey, flesh, you want to be like God, appeals to the pride, sinful nature. This is kind of, you want to be your own God. Adam and Eve, you want to be your own God. And they go, yes. And then, and then the devil goes, well, take that fruit. And we read in Genesis that the fruit was pleasing to the eye, desirable. And Adam and Eve go and they take that fruit and they eat it. They reject God and they pursue their own desires. See how it works? It's a narrative that works continually within our human heart. The devil is at work. And I, I realize I'm going off the bat, going big ideas. I'm going to unpack these because you might be sitting here and you're going, I don't even believe, you know, devil, this has all got pretty hectic pretty quick. Well, I'll unpack this in just a moment. The devil is a dating agency between the flesh and the world, it works its way out for us everyday life. Now, oh, I see that. I want that. The devil is there at work tempting us will we give into temptation but there's a gift in the lord's prayer when we pray this line lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one we're actually given something we're given a tool that sets us free that helps us that empowers us to walk a life in a world of temptation to actually walk in a way that we're empowered to walk in life, to actually meet the deeper desires and to obey the deeper desires that Paul talks of rather than the surface desires. And so we're going to unpack this part of the prayer this morning. And I trust that it's practical and that actually you're empowered, you walk away empowered. And we're going to do a few things at the end of the service. We're going to be praying for one another. And just to to say from uh, at the start, As I've been preparing this, I've I've just had a heart for our kids. And so we're going to invite all our kids in and we're going to pray over our kids uh, at the end of the service as well, which I'm looking at doing. But we're going to jump into a passage. Actually, it's a prayer that Jesus prayed. We read it in John chapter 17 and and, and Jesus gathers his disciples together just before He he is to be sentenced to death. He gathers them in the upper room and he prays a prayer over them. And we're going to be looking at this prayer because it's a prayer that Jesus prayed, but it also unveils, reveals the nature of our journey, certainly the journey of the disciples and for us as well. It reveals why we need prayer and the nature of the journey that we're in. So John 17, starting at verse 6 and going right through to verse 16. Um, The words will be on the screen behind me uh, or read along with your Bible. This is what Jesus prays, praying to the Father. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I just, I've underlined that because I love it. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. The name is Jesus. The name is Saviour. That's important to know because we'll come back to that. None, None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be Truly sanctified or saved is another word used for sanctified. That is a rich prayer. I can't unpack all of that this morning. I'm not going to, but I think there's some key things that we can take from this that reveal the nature of our journey and why it's important to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we interact, as we invite God into our world. Firstly, I think what we see here and what we learn as we pray is that prayer recognises the battle. It recognises the battle and it reveals the enemy. It reveals the enemy. Jesus understands here that there is a battle. There is a battle that actually has already been won. He writes, none have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus is praying for his disciples because he recognises there is a fight going on Something is being contended. In verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from who? From the evil one. See, Jesus prays an acknowledgement, praying that there is a battle going on and there is an opposition. See, we pray, don't we, when we feel like we're in a battle. Often when we feel we're contested, we, we pray. Lots of people do that. And here's the amazing thing. When we pray, we begin to see what the nature of the battle is. But there is a tactic employed by the devil. I want you to know this. Maybe maybe you've never thought of this. Maybe you disagree and that's okay. But it's quite clear in Jesus' words and throughout Scripture and in the Lord's prayer, there's an acknowledgement that there is an evil one. There is a devil that prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, as we read in the Peter, there is an enemy, an enemy that wants to rob your soul and to destroy your life. And his task, one of his tasks, one of the, he, one of the tasks is, is, is to fool us into thinking that he doesn't exist. In fact, there are two lies. I'm sure there are many lies, but in this, in this scheme, in this journey, there are two great lives that we believe that actually leads us towards temptation. Sure, there's many, but I just want to pick on two. The first great lie is that we believe that there is no enemy. We believe that there is no devil. We believe that we are not in a battle. And let me tell you if you believe that, whether you've intellectually made that leap or whether you live like that, the devil wants you to believe it. He wants you to believe that, there, that you aren't being contested. And if you don't believe that there is an enemy, if you don't believe that there is someone wanting to tempt you, trying to introduce you, flesh, meat, world, if you don't believe that, then you're not armed for it. You're not ready for it. You are susceptible. Let me give you a simple uh, example. Some of you may uh, know some of the history of the Second World War. I like reading a bit of Second World War history. And uh, we read that... Um, before the Second World War, Hitler met with Neville Chamberlain, who was the Prime Minister of England, and a bunch of other European leaders. And Hitler said to them, he said, I, I know that I'm building an army. I know I'm breaking the Treaty of Versailles. But I, I'm not a bad person. I'm actually, I'm not going to do anything bad. You, don't, don't, you do not need to worry about me. I'm a good person. And and Neville Chamberlain and and the other leaders sat there and they were very pleased with this and they, they signed a treaty and everyone was happy until Hitler, months later, decided to attack Poland, Poland that was unaware, not defended, not expecting anything and blitzkrieg. The Nazis moved in at force during the night and took over Poland and we had the Second World War. That's exactly what Hitler wanted. He wanted everybody to believe that he was harmless, that there was no evil, that there was no danger. And in the same way, the enemy wants that for us. He wants us to be unaware, undefended, unarmed. And when we're in that place, then we're in danger of temptation. That's the first lie that the enemy wants us to believe. The second lie that we believe is this, that we believe that we are strong enough to resist we overestimate our capacity to resist temptation we think we think we're strong enough we think we're powerful enough we're okay oh I'm okay to go there or look at this or you know open that door or whatever it is I'm okay I'm strong enough we believe this I know I do in a whole range of areas I believe I'm strong enough I can give you a whole range of examples, but I'm just going to give you one. I remember a few years ago going to Florida to visit Megan's family and I went to the gym with Megan's younger brother and at the time he was on scholarship at university for a sports team. He went to gym every day and he invited me to come along and I looked at Aaron and I looked at me and I thought, I'll be fine, I'm strong enough. And uh, we started doing workout and I decided to try and keep pace with him. And I, I vividly remember grabbing... Uh, A weight and lying down on the bench and trying to do what he did and I went back and something went pop and I was in a lot of pain and as it turns out, I've damaged my shoulder for the rest of my life. Uh, uh, Yeah, I know. Uh, So anyway, physio. Um, That's the thing, I overestimated my strength. I thought that I could do it, but I couldn't. We believe the lies that we actually are strong enough, oh, I can resist that temptation, I'll be OK, and you might be in good situation. Good situations. But if you add tiredness, you add a bad day, you add a bad week, you add some kind of deep insecurity, and we are all one decision away from disaster. And we think we're strong enough, but We're not, and often it's our confidence that leads to our downfall. Dallas Willard says the excessive confidence people have in the strength of their own faith, usually when they are not suffering, simply makes the danger worse. There are two lies that we believe about temptation, but the gift in this prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, is that it actually subverts both of those lies. It actually reorders, reorients and addresses both these lies. See, when we pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, we recognise two things. Firstly, we recognise that there is an opposition. We pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil or as it may be interpreted, the evil one. Now, we need to understand that, and it's confusing here because we can read this prayer and say, we pray, lead us not into temptation. Does that mean that God is leading us into temptation? Is that his intent? And we must say no. We must say no, that whilst we do walk through temptation, we have to be honest about that, that we live in a world of fallenness where we are tempted in every way, tempted in every way. But God does not lead us towards sin. Sin. And we can grapple with this, it's confusing, but we need to recognize, and I think when we hold both, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we actually need to hold it in tension. We need to understand that there is an enemy, and we need to cry out to God for rescue. This is how John Stott, the pastor and theologian, writes. He says, a better explanation seems to me that lead us not must be understood in the light of its counterpart, but deliver us. And that evil should be rendered evil one, as in Matthew 13 9. In other words, it is the devil who is in view, who tempts God's people to sin, and from whom we need to rescue, be rescued. God does not tempt us. James 1 says this let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. We have an enemy. When we pray this prayer in the Lord's Prayer, we're acknowledging that there is one who is against us. And so as John Stott continues to write, he says, the prayer is more that we may overcome temptation than that we may avoid it. Perhaps we could paraphrase the whole request as do not allow us to be so led into temptation that it overwhelms us, but rescue us from the evil one. So behind these words that Jesus gave us to pray are the implications that the devil is too strong for us and that we are too weak to stand up to Him, but that our Heavenly Father will deliver us if we call upon Him. And there's the second key to what we understand in this prayer. Firstly, the prayer acknowledges that we are in opposition, and secondly, the prayer recognises that we are weak, that we're in need. In fact, the, the whole posture of prayer says we're in need. I mean, to get on your knees and pray is to say, we can't do it, I can't do it. You do not go into a boxing match on your knees. That's not a good strategy. You want your opposition to be on their knees. When you pray, you are putting yourself in a place of vulnerability. You're saying, I can't. I'm in need. I need help. It's the antithesis of pride. It says, I can't do it. Oh, we need to get hold of this. I need to get hold of this. I'm not good enough. I can't fix it. I am not strong enough. I can't fight hard enough. I need a God to come and strengthen me and empower me because I cannot overcome the devil and I cannot overcome all that will be thrown at me in this world. That's a humbling thing to say, but we must say it. And when we pray this line in the prayer, we are acknowledging it. There is an opposition and we are in need. And we need to understand that actually in walking in this need is actually, it's a gift to us. And whilst God doesn't tempt us to, to sin... We do walk through trials and temptations and it does strengthen us when we learn to pray. In fact, James, who in verse 13 of chapter 1 just said God doesn't tempt us, does say that we walk through trials and temptations. In verses 2 to 4, a little bit earlier on, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when, it, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It strengthens you. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Do you want to be mature and complete as a Christian? Not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. See, when we walk through trials and temptations, learning to to form in in our hearts this prayer that, that acknowledges that the hardship, acknowledges that it's hard, but also acknowledges that we have access to power when we bow the knee, we are actually strengthened. See, prayer strengthens our resolve and it grows our resilience. That's what prayer does. When we pray, we grow in our resilience. And Jesus understands this as he prays for the disciples. He says this, and we read it in verses 14 and 15. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them, strengthen them so that they may be one as we are one. My prayer is that you do not take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth, your word. Your word is truth. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't pray, God, this world is rubbish. It's really hard. They're not going to survive. They're going to be obliterated. Take them out of the world. Let's just, let's get out of here. We just take them out, take them now. He doesn't pray that. He says, don't take them out of the world, but protect them as they journey through the world. See, as we journey through trials and temptations, as James says, we are strengthened. We're protected. We have access to protection. And there's a key in this prayer that Jesus prays over the disciples and he prays over us. There's a key that we need to grab hold of. And it's in this word, uh, in this verse 17, sanctify, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When we walk through trial and temptation, we need to tether our prayers to God's word. There's something incredibly power, powerful about this. Again, let me say, tether your prayers to God's word. Tether your prayers to God's truth. Why? Because truth cannot be argued against. When you come in conflict with temptation, when you come in conflict with the devil, when there are things going on in your life, your wisdom, your smarts are not strong enough to fend off the devil, but God's truth is. The devil understands the final outcome, the devil knows what is true, the devil knows what has authority. And when you use God's word, you have truth, you have authority. It speaks something with power over the enemy and it speaks it over your life. That's the thing. When you use God's word, you are reminding yourself of the power of who God is and what he has done for you. You're reminding yourself of the truth that is spoken over your life, the redemptive power of Jesus, and you're reminding the devil too. Great example is in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus, before his public ministry, after he's been baptized, we read, is led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, where he is tempted by the devil. Jesus is led into a place where he is is fasting, where he is crying out to God, and it's in that place that the devil comes. Again, in a place of tiredness, I'd imagine, weakness, the devil comes and tempts Jesus three times. And what's really interesting is that every time the devil comes and makes a proposal, tempts him, and you can break it down to in a whole bunch of ways, I don't have time to do it now, but every time Jesus responds by speaking God's truth. He doesn't use his own words. He quotes three times from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus doesn't, it, it, it's interesting actually that Jesus actually submits himself to God's word, <laughs> which is an interesting interplay as well. But that is where the power is and the devil cannot argue. And what's funny is at the end of that, end of that encounter, it says Jesus was very hungry Uh, which I find very, very funny. It's kind of like stating the obvious after 40 days of fasting. But Jesus was aware enough to use God's Word. See, God's power is in His Word and it's given to us. We get to use God's Word as a sword. It's our response And so let me encourage you as I encourage myself, we need to sit in God's Word. We need to meditate on God's Word. It's His words that have power, not ours. It's His Word that fends off the enemy, not ours. And we're invited to use it and we are to sit in it. The invitation is that we're to meditate. Again, tether your prayers to God's Word. Let me encourage you if it's not part of your spiritual diet to sit in God's Word and then use it and turn it to prayer. Memorise God's Word. Find those prayers that will help you in those moments of temptation. Find those words, those prayers that that help you escape from the clutches of temptation, where you're wanting to give up, when you're wanting to give in, when you don't want to fight anymore. What are the words of Scripture that can help you They've been hugely helpful for me over the years. And to be honest, it's probably part of the practical application for me today is I need to find some more of these verses and begin to have them just at the forefront of my mind. And as we persistently sit in God's Word, we will grow resistance. Persistence leads to resistance. As we continue to sit in God's Word, we will grow as resilient disciples. We will grow. We will be like a tree planted by streams of water. The, the, the psalm writer, first psalm, the songs in the, of, of Israel, 150 songs, the first song says, "'Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked "'or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, "'but whose delight is in the law of the Lord "'and meditates on his law day and night. "'That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, "'which yields its fruit in season.'" whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. See, the psalm writer is saying if you sit in God's word, then you will be able to walk through every season in life. You'll be able to endure every season. There is something formational about sitting in God's word and praying God's word. It'll carry you through the good times and it will carry you through the times of temptation, trial, And hardship, it's God's truth, it's God's word, it's reminding ourselves of the story that we're part of. It's reminding ourselves, again, when we pray, when we pray, we remind ourselves of our deeper desires. We remind ourselves of our deeper desires. When we sit in God's word, we are reminding ourselves of God's character, who he is, what he says about us. And so when the shallow desires come, those temporal desires, the deeper desires, are stronger. That is what prayer does in us. That's what it forms in us. That's what it forges in us. It's the encouragement for all of us. Spend time in His Word. Meditate on His Word. Pray His Word. My dad sent, um, sent me just a short article, just a couple of days ago actually, that was written by Billy Graham, nine pieces of advice for young people. I want to re- read one of them. And to be honest, this is just a piece of advice for everyone. He says this, Dedicate a lot of time to Scripture. The psalmist said, I keep your word in my heart not to sin against you. Memorise the verses and when temptation comes, quote them. The word of God is the only thing Satan can't oppose. Why? Why? because it's truth. It's eternal truth. I, I encourage you, what's the thing that maybe you can take away with from today? What's the practical thing that you can implement into your prayer life? Prayer recognises the battle and it reveals the enemy. Prayer strengthens our resolve and it grows our resilience. And thirdly, prayer reminds us, it reminds us of who has the power to save us. Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them, that's us, the disciples, into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus is making a subtly bold statement here. Jesus is saying, I have been sanctified as I have walked in this world in order that they, that his disciples, that us may be sanctified. Jesus is saying, I have walked in this world, I have been tempted in this world as they have been tempted in order that I can save them. We read in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus was tempted In every way, just as we are tempted. We worship and know a God who is distinct, as Megan shared before, but he is also someone who has come close. Jesus identifies with us, but as he walked through this temptation, as he walked through this world, he did not give into temptation in order that he can be for us who have. Jesus offers us freedom, salvation, and it's all found at the cross. Jesus walked this earth. He walked through temptation, trial, and and hardship, and ultimately it's manifested at the cross. Jesus died for us. He endured the great temptation. Jesus could have walked away. He didn't have to go to the cross, but he did, and he died for us so that we may be saved. And he rose again so that we could be set free, that those deeper desires could be known, that we're invited into life eternal and one day we will be set free from that tension, the pain, the frustration that we all walk, the disappointment, the hurt, the regret of giving in to temptation. We've all been there. We all carry it. The challenge is... And I'd imagine this would be for many of us here, that past story as we sit here can be the story that informs our life. It's the view in which we see things. Jesus died so that we don't need to carry around our past story. He invites us into a new story of grace. Jesus says, I sanctify or I have saved them. I want you to know, Jesus died for you, he rose again so that you don't need to carry around the shame of past failure and past sin. And when you pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, there is a wonderful gospel axis. There's a wonderful truth axis here. It's like a before and after, lead us not into temptation, it's kind of like the preemptive strike, and deliver us from evil. You know, we've all experienced and walked in sin at different points and and right up to today. We're all broken. Paul says that we're walking in our sin, but God sets us free. There's a a gospel axis. We will be and we have been set free from evil if we are in him. That is the prayer that Jesus prays over his disciples and that is the truth of God's word, the power of God's truth that we need to take hold of. And when we pray, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are reminding ourselves of the truth that we are redeemed, that we have been delivered, that we will be delivered. We are redeemed and delivered people. That is the truth and the devil cannot fight it. But so often we don't believe it. Learning to pray Reminds us. I just got. I remember. I just thought of this now as I'm saying. I remember a number of years ago when I went through a significant moment of. Well, it manifested itself as anxiety. There are there are a whole bunch of false truths I was believing. I believed a whole bunch of lies about who I was and it. And again, life got really intense. I was. I just started studying my masters. We just had our baby Olivia, and I was working full time in a really busy pastoral role. And there were all these narratives and stories that I believed about who I was that were lies. I just didn't have the wisdom or the power or the words to fight it. I tried. I worked really hard. I had more effort, tried to think things through because that's kind of how I do things. I'm not, I'm not very emotionally attuned. So I just try and think my way through things. Anyone like that? I There's a whole bunch of us like that. And, my, and, and I just couldn't do it anymore. My body collapsed on me because of my own, my own sin. And I remember walking a journey and just going, I remember every morning, all I could do was slide out of my bed onto my knees and say, God, remind me that you love me. That was all the truth I needed for that moment and for that day. When we pray... We remind ourselves of the true narrative and it sets us free from the brokenness of our story. We're all living a story. God is inviting us into a far greater story if we're willing to walk in it. When we pray, we're reminded of the story we're part of. That's the gift that we're given. And there's one more thing I want to pick up before we we land today, and it's this. We have someone else praying for us. I love the fact that Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us. We read that he prayed for the disciples. That's the passage in the next one. He prays for all believers. Jesus prayed for you and for me, and he continues to pray for you and for me. We read in Romans chapter 8 that Jesus is still interceding for us. He's fighting for us. He's praying for every one of us. Romans 8, 34 to 39, who then is the one who condemns? We're not condemned if we're in Christ, people. That is the true story. No one, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, interceding for you and for me. Jesus continues to intercede for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, you know this, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the story that every one of us is invited into. Do you know it? Are you living it? And so often we believe the other story. we forget. We get out of rhythm and we get caught in the insecurity of the brokenness of our life and the shame, and it self perpetuates. We don't have the strength to fight, we don't have the will to, to fight the temptations. We, we give in. But Jesus invites us into a better story, a greater story. When we pray, we remind ourselves of the greatest story. I've got three responses this morning. The first one's practical. My invitation question for each of us is, what are you going to do about it? My question is, is how are you going to sit in prayer and in God's Word? How are you going to remind yourself daily of the story you're part of or Part of that might be confession. Part of that actually, it is confession actually, just finding people that you can journey alongside and say, I need to hear back the truth of who I am. This is my life. This is my story. I want you to hear it. There is something incredibly liberating about confession. We've given you uh, the Examen, which is uh, just a pattern of prayer on those prayer cards. They're online as well, but just reflecting Uh, Reflect and then rejoice, repent and refresh. And that repenting one of just handing over, there is a great gift in that. What's the thing that you can do in your life? Is it meditating on Scripture? What's the thing that you can take away with today? You go, that's something I'm going to work on from now on. What's the change behaviour? What's the change practice in you to remind yourself of the story that you're part of? The the next thing is, so I I reckon there are people here just walking through a season of trial, just felt this today, that there are people here who are just tired and you're walking through a season of life that just feels hard. You're walking through hardships. You're walking through trial and you're exhausted. And I'd love to pray for you today. I'd love to create. We had just a wonderful time, the eight, 30 this morning, just praying for people, being refreshed again. And I reckon there are people here who need to be refreshed, reminded of the story at the end. I just wonder whether just right now we could stand where we are. Why don't we stand to our feet? Get the band just to come and sing over us in a moment. In a moment we're going to sing, we're going to worship us and sing a song, Our God is Greater. Before we do that, I'd love just to create a moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite people forward. If you're, I think that this is going to be significant for, for a number of people. If you are just, you feel like you're, you're walking through a season of hardship, it's hard for you at the moment and you just need to be reminded of God's love. You need to be reminded of the story you're part of. You need to be encouraged afresh. You're exhausted. You're tired. I'm just going to invite you right now just to step out from where you are and just come to the front because we'd love to pray for you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.